We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me for this episode is John Pascarella. John is the assistant coach with Minnesota United in the MLS. He put a tweet out a couple of weeks ago that got a fair amount of coaches talking on social media and I wanted to get him on and talk about the tweet, talk about his response to the tweet and the intention of it and then it moves into coach development that goes into the growth of the game on and off the field over here and, and just about discussions on social media. Is that the platform for coaching topics? Should we be moving it somewhere else? Should we be challenging coaches a little bit more on there? So really, really enjoyed this. We'd love to hear your thoughts at Gary Kernin on Twitter, at Gary Kernin on Instagram. Please let me know what you think about this one. Before we begin, a quick reminder to all listeners to set aside five or ten minutes today. Get online, check out Sports Lab 360. We're excited about the work they're doing to help educate and develop players from a soccer IQ perspective. More to come at the halfway point with an exclusive Modern Soccer Coach podcast offer. Here is John. Enjoy. John, thanks so much for joining me this morning for the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Really, really excited to have you on. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here as well. First time for me, so th- thanks for the invitation. So we've been brought together by a tweet. How ironic of me to do this with Twitter. But um, your your tweet, which was last week, which obviously got my attention and a lot of people in the coaching community but what got my attention more was your response to the tweet how you handled it and kind of what you tried to draw out of coaches who engaged you so i'll read the tweet out and then i'll I'll let you kind of take us through what you meant and what the context was it was after us 20s had a big win and you tweeted so much for the french elite formation curriculum lol exclamation mark exclamation mark maybe they should look into the way tab does things and develops players yeah so the rationale behind it and and some of the history behind it were ongoing discussions at work about how polarized we are as coaches about the game how we all cling to our own opinions and will state those freely without really asking questions of others as to why they feel a certain way or gathering perspective from someone else's viewpoint, which I think as coaches is crucial. And so I started to put together what I was hoping to be a very vague tweet, because if you actually look at the way the tweet's written or the way I tried to write it, and I'm no, I'm no grammar major, I'm no English major, no literature major, um, but I try to involve enough things and make it vague enough that it could be taken in almost any way. Because if you look at the, the fact that I mentioned the elite formation curriculum, that's not only used by the French national team, but it's used by all of our MLS academies as well. If you look at the fact that I mentioned in there that 
tab is doing some development. I think we all know and understand that youth national teams and national team coaches in general are very limited in how much they can develop players. Do they develop them? Of course they do. Anytime you spend time with a person, you're developing them. But Tab's development of a of a youth national team player compared to what his youth team coach does, whether it be in a U.S. academy or in a foreign academy or with his professional club, is minimal compared to those other coaches. So I tried to make it vague enough in all of those areas just to see what people would bite at. And it was amazing because it was almost 95% of the people bit on the result and the result only. And that was part of the other reason why I threw out the text the way I did or the, the uh, tweet the way I did. I have found in, in reading stuff on Twitter that everything, not everything, most of the stuff that's out there is anti-MLS, it's anti-U.S. national team. It's anti-America. Now, I know we may be going through a tough time and the country's polarized and the world is polarized over our opinions and the way we do things. But I still think as a soccer group, as a subculture of America, so that being the, the soccer subculture, we have a responsibility to have a dialogue over what are the right things to do for the development of the country. The problem is um, that many of those things that we have opinions on aren't gonna be found out till the long term. They're going to take years to come to fruition. And some of them may not come to fruition, so we may have to change directions on the way we're doing things. But that's a process that we have to go through. But it doesn't seem like, especially on Twitter, and I'm not sure social media is the right way to do it, it doesn't seem like there are any questions or processes that go on there. It's simply answers and derogatory comments about the way things are being done, about the results, and nothing really about the process. So, so on that process, and then, yeah, Twitter isn't necessarily built for context or process, but, but are, we, are we then too quick to – are we skimming the surface with coaching methodology? Are we too quick to jump on the next big thing? When it comes to coaching methodology over here, are, are we lacking an identity or lacking patience? What's your thoughts on that? Um, I think it depends on if we're talking about individual coaches or if we're talking about our federation, our governing body, our coaching education system. Um, I think our coaching education system and our federation has to have patience because there's no way to really see if a plan is working unless you legitimately go through almost an entire generation of players to see where that generation ends up and how they do and how they rank over two, three, four cycles of youth national team tournaments, of World Cups, of Women World Cups, of all those types of things, of whether we're placing enough players in Europe and in South America and all those things. So from a federation's perspective, I think it has to go slower than it does on a personal perspective for a coach. I think coaches' duty and responsibility is to gain as much insight and knowledge as they possibly can. Therefore, they may not want to completely reverse directions on what they're doing, but they are, in my opinion, obligated to try different things, to see what works with their current team, to see what works with the current age group that they, that they have, to see different methodologies and different ways of thinking and different perspectives and different ways of teaching 
what works best because what might work best for them might not work best for you or me or anyone else or what might work best in that given situation at that moment in time with those players may not work for that same coach in another moment in time with another group of players a year later or two years later. So for the coaches, I think you can go through that process more quickly. And I think you should. And over time, I think that's what helps you develop as a coach and you create and, and devise and, and come to an understanding through reflection as to what works for you in what situations and what things you're good at and what things you should leave to others. But from a federation's perspective, I think they need to be patient and they need to see out a couple of cycles to make sense of whether a certain philosophy, a certain methodology, a certain way of doing things is the proper way to go about it holistically for the nation, for the country. So it's a little bit of a, a way of taking both sides of that, but I think it, it really uh, applies to both. I think we as individuals can develop more, more quickly than a bureaucratic um, uh, entity can, and I think it should. It's funny that when you, when you say, I've never looked at it that way before, but we are, as a coaching community, we're obviously patient with ourselves, aren't we, of course, and we're impatient with the Federation. You're saying do the other way around, which, which I really like, I want to stick on that there. So when, when obviously as people, we're not, we don't naturally grab growth and, and grab uh, this mindset of constantly improving. It's not probably natural in a lot of us. Um, we like comfort. We would love all to have a 20 year plan to get better. But this is what I want to ask you about. I think fear plays a big role in coaching over here, not wanting to be different, not wanting to be, judged not wanting to be labeled a certain direct coach or a tough coach we all want to be and i've probably impacted this in a real negative way myself we all want to be the modern coach but mm -hmm. is that now drawing us towards being a little bit critical of things that are just different like you said i think that that has something to do with it i think that our ability to communicate so quickly and for information to spread so fast people kind of duck and cover they don't want to raise their head uh, above the crowd. They don't want to raise their voice above the din because that, that singles you out and makes you a target. The tweet is a, perfect, is a perfect example. So I think it's extremely important that, that we understand that about ourselves and about human nature. That's, that's normal. That's self-preservation. But if we want to aspire to be great, whether that's individually as a coach or collectively as a nation through soccer or anything else, you have to be brave enough and courageous enough with your convictions to put them out there on the line. You also have to be smart enough, I think, to understand that it is simply your opinion based on your experiences. And there are other experiences and people out there with experiences that maybe have a better perspective or a better view than you do. But the only way you're going to gather that is by listening. And so if you're not willing to talk, you're generally not willing to listen either. So that dialogue has to happen. It has to be a two-way thing. And I don't know how you get past that. I don't know if that's a personality thing, an upbringing thing, but it's, it's something that I think is crucial in the soccer culture of America. And as I said to a couple people when we discussed it through DMs or on the side in that texting, one of my responsibilities as a coach in Major League Soccer is to question. 
It isn't to have all the answers. It's to see if we're actually going in the right direction and to question not just others, but to question myself. Am I doing the right thing? Do I um, have the right motives and the right values? Am I using the right methodology? Is my philosophy uh, based on the right things? But many people are afraid to share those things and afraid to discuss those things because they're afraid to be um, uh, vilified for lack of a better word. And, and I don't really think that's what it should come down to. These, nor these conversations should become more normalized and part of our everyday dialogue to help us grow as coaches. And I think the Federation plays a role in that. I think coaching education in our coaching schools play a role in that. Um, and I think we as coaches on, in the higher levels, whether it's in the women's game, the men's game, um, Olympics or youth national team stuff, full national team, players at the top end and coaches at the top end of the game are responsible for having an opinion opening themselves up with those opinions and then listening to others' opinions and seeing if they can't gain more insight from, from other people as well. So that's just, that's just my opinion and how I feel about it. But I think that dialogue is important. I think it's crucial actually to our survival and our ability to get better. No, so then on that, so what, what I thought made your point more impactful was the dialogue, was the communication, like you said, was the fact that whenever you got helters after, after sending it, you responded respectfully uh, with, I mean, I, I think so one person responded with three things and you agreed with all three things, but mm -hmm. yet you moved it. So to compare that there, and you mentioned there about having the bravery as a coach to have stick your head up and say something. There's a famous coach educator who says a lot of uh, controversial things, but doesn't, doesn't stick around for the communication, doesn't, seem to connect with people to or use his platform as an opportunity for that conversation. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're saying then that, that we should have, or is Twitter the place for it? Or you know, how, how do we facilitate as influencers, how do we facilitate those conversations? I, I don't know that Twitter is the right venue for it, but I think it's a great venue. And, and, and this little social experiment that I conducted, I'll, I'll kind of show you how I think it, it helps in that a lot of the dialogue that went back and forth was was vitriol and, and stuff just getting thrown at me. And I tried to keep it on a very professional level. What I really wanted to get to was discussions with people that were open to having those discussions and sharing their information. And three right off the top of my head come to mind, you being one of them. The second being Todd Beam. And the third being a journalist who's based out of Medellin and Buenos Aires, but does a lot of work in Miami and L.A. as well. And the media's perspective on this is important to me because that's how we as coaches get our information out there. We do it through social media, but we also do it through mainstream media as well. And the more coverage that we can get through mainstream media, the more influence that we can have on mainstream America and their view of the game. So. I don't know that Twitter's the right place to do it, but I think it's the right place to gather some of the people that are willing to have those dialogues, people like yourself, people like Todd, and people like this journalist uh, in Miami and LA. So it's helped me open up three more avenues for discussion and for a critical examination of, of the process of myself, of my views, of their views, and, and it just helps me grow. And, and in the end, that sounds selfish, but I think that should be the mentality of every one of our coaches 
every one of our organizing bodies through soccer in the United States and, and therefore U.S. soccer in general. I just think that's how, how we're going to develop and progress. Well, you've, you've done, just before, I'm wearing a Northern Ireland shirt here, so we, you mentioned that you've done the coach education, yeah. uh, obviously. So your spectrum of played in, playing experience in Peru as well. So mm-hmm. you've, you've got a spectrum of different cultures, different experiences. And, and we've talked a lot about where our, where our social media community is at the minute. Do you think we're in a like, – where do you think we're at? What stage do you think we're at in a coaching community in terms of getting – we're getting access to so much information? Do you think it's harmful? Do you think it's time to slow down? Or what's your thoughts? I don't think it's harmful to get that information. What, what I think is harmful is to take it as dogma. If, if someone looks at the way Arrigo Saki – uh, built his AC Milan teams, or someone takes a look at how Jose Mourinho built his original Porto team, or if you look at any any good coach that had a successful period with any team, and you take that to be dogma, you're, in my opinion, you're probably doing the wrong thing because that was one coach, his personality, his philosophy, and his methodology at one moment in time, at one club where it fit and a certain group of players that were able to carry it out. But that doesn't mean you can go to the next place and the next place and the next place and do it again and again and again. And you see coaches that they go up and down through these, these career cycles all the time. doesn't mean they're poor coaches, but most of them grow from each one of those experiences. They ask those reflective questions. They engage with the, the soccer public, coaches above them, coaches at the same level as them, coaches below them. And they refine their ideas and their their way of doing things, and they become better and more experienced over time. And that doesn't always show immediately with the next team, because maybe what they know at that next moment in time doesn't fit with that group at that time. But generally speaking, coaches that I've seen who've taken that mentality, the ones I've experienced, the ones that I've read about, the ones that I've spoken to, all tend to grow and get better and continue in the game over time because of that perspective. The ones who just argue, no, 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 this is the only way to do it, tend to stay at the very same level in the game as as they are now. They, they never move, there's never any growth, not in their teams, not in their in their careers, not in their mentality and their perspectives. And, and for us to grow as a soccer country, I think every one of us as players and coaches needs to grow, every single one of us, because we're only gonna be as, as good as our, our weakest link. We'll take a quick break there. Youth coaches, think about some of your biggest challenges. One that I frequently hear about is simply the amount of time you have with your players. Have you ever finished a session only to realize that you didn't progress to the point that you had hoped to get to? That challenge is exactly why we're excited about the work being done by Sports Lab 360, a company with a great backstory and a fantastic product. As a coach, you can use the platform to make assignments, focus on specific tactical principles, put in custom notes, track progress, and the scoring of your players. Coaches who have used the program report more productivity, progressions, and training with players not only arriving more educated, but also with a greater desire to learn and grow on the soccer IQ side of the game. All MSC listeners will get 15% off a club or team subscription with the code ROADSHOWPROMO1 or send them a note and tell them Gary sent you to get an extra week on your free trial, Sports Lab 360. Please, please check them out. Back to John. We started with methodology and coach education, but now 
and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like now you're saying the greatest strength almost as a coach is in emotional intelligence, humility, awareness of where you're at. And, and this, these are more uh, interpersonal skills mm -hmm. than they are coaching skills or technical, mm -hmm. tactical skills. So what I would ask you then now is like, so how do we improve the coach who's not aware, the, the coach who isn't humble, the coach who thinks they know it all uh, and that it does apply? How do we connect to that coach or communicate to that coach or improve that coach? I think part of that comes through our coaching education, comes through the things that you're doing because there's independent sources of, of coaching education. It's not just federations. But I think just as we as coaches have a tough time influencing some players and we say, well, if they're not motivated, how am I to motivate them? I feel it's the same way with coaches. If coaches aren't motivated to grow themselves, to get better themselves, if they're content with where they are, then there's really not a whole lot we can do to pull them along. We may still have to listen to them, um, argue on social media about certain things, or we may have to still engage in them and gain their perspectives on why they feel the way they do or why they believe in the perspective they believe without trying to grow and, and, and go outside of that perspective. Um, but really, it's just it, it's an interesting one, Gary, that, that you bring up. It's uh, it, it's people are responsible for themselves. So you've gotten to where you are today because you've challenged yourself to get better. And I think that everyone is responsible for doing that for themselves, players, coaches. And yes, can we help direct them? Absolutely. But they have to also want the help. Players have to ask for, hey, coach, I don't understand that concept, or I can't get this skill down of being able to turn off my back foot and get away on this touch and those kinds of things. And coaches have to be willing to say the same things. Hey, I don't, I don't get this piece. I don't understand that. So many coaches, I think, get caught up in the X's and O's. They forget about the management and the self-awareness. And when I talk about management, I mean self-management then being able to manage others. Grow within yourself and then grow everything that's just outside of you. And hopefully you grow them enough that they grow what's outside of them and that just kind of perpetuates itself. But it starts with yourself. If you're not willing to change yourself and improve yourself and, and take in other perspectives, and maybe you find after gaining other perspectives that yours was right all along, that you are the genius in the world and that's the way it is, fair enough but you're not gonna know that unless you engage in the process and the dialogue and the the argumentative stuff and, and raising your head above the crowd and saying, this is what I believe, what do you think? Prove me wrong. And, and Twitter, obviously a hard place, a very, very hard place to do that. But what, again, what separated your argument or sometimes catch myself doing this, you know, you, you're, you're almost drawn to negativity. Mm -hmm. And I used to do it quite a bit on Twitter. I used to catch myself following dialogues of people going back and forth who are arguing and I think I've got better at it you know now uh, I almost disengage when it becomes a bit nasty it's I put the phone down and I walk away what actually got me to yours was the fact that there was a real you know you had a pride in where the game is going you got people's attention and you kind of channeled it towards a positive place so you put mm -hmm. there is growth in the game over here we've got to be patient over the past five years I wanted to ask you having been involved in, in numerous levels of the game and now in MLS, where do you think or what do you think is the most growth in the game on and off the pitch, really coaching and players over the past five years? 
It's an interesting question, and it's it's a very large one, and I may go off on a tangent here, but I'll I'll kind of give you again my perspective. If I think the biggest growth in the game is the fact that you can see it everywhere now. So we have MLS on TV and in stadiums locally where people can go and watch games. Um, you have EPL, uh, the Spanish League, the Italian League, the German League, uh, the Argentinian League, the Mexican League that you can find regularly on TV. When I grew up in the late 60s, the 70s, 80s, we had the old NASL. I grew up in New Jersey, so I was a Cosmos fan. So I had that, and I was lucky that I grew up in that time period where I had that, and I could look at Pelé and Beckenbauer and Canalia and Nashkins and um, Birkenmeyer in goal, Shep Messing in goal, uh, Cabanas, all these players that played with the Cosmos and think, that's what I want to do someday. I want to be like them. So it gave me heroes to aspire to be like. It gave me it gave me these people that I could put on a pedestal and try and achieve what they have achieved. And then that went away for a while. I went off to college, my freshman year of college, the league folded. There was no NASL. There, there was the, the, the mini NASL and the mini USL that existed, but it wasn't a league like the original North American Soccer League was, and it wasn't a league um, like Major League Soccer is now. There wasn't the resources involved in it. There wasn't the media coverage. There wasn't TV rights. There wasn't any of that stuff. So really, it was out of the public's view. And there was a whole generation of kids that grew up without that, without seeing that. Not only was there the old NASL for my generation to grow up with, and, and that being the only one, but there was on TV, soccer made in Germany. And that was really, if you talk to people in their 40s and 50s and 60s, and they talked to you about watching soccer on TV, it was either watching one NASL game uh, a week, whatever city you happen to be in, for me it was the Cosmos, or it was watching Toby Charles doing the announcing of a shortened 60-minute game from Germany every week. That was all the soccer that was on. But that had an influence on an entire generation. You now fast forward, and that generation, I believe, has helped develop what exists today. The people who are now in their 40s and 50s and 60s are the ones that helped create Major League Soccer, are the ones that helped create and put back into place the processes for the U.S. national team. They're the ones that grew up with soccer, and maybe they didn't become soccer players or coaches themselves, but they became the vice president of Pepsi, or they became the vice president of X, Y, and Z Corporation, which is now investing millions of dollars into Major League Soccer or into the U.S. national team program because they grew up with that love for the game. So the game has grown tremendously. In, in leaps and bounds from when I was a kid to where I am today. But even just in the 20 years that I've been involved in Major League Soccer, from when I was a bit player, and I mean a bit player, sitting my ass on the bench the whole time with the LA Galaxy, to where it is today, it's, it's, it's unrecognizable. The talent level in the league today compared to 96 and 97 is unrecognizable. The, the players today are much better. They're much fitter. They're much smarter. They're much more... Uh, nuanced and cultured in the game. The fan base is as well. The money that's involved in it um, is as well. And there's good and bad to that because you hear people, for example, make the argument about promotion relegation. 
And can we do that? Can we get a USL team to eventually jump into MLS where the poorest of MLS teams fall into the USL? Those are all questions for the future. I don't necessarily think they're going to happen today because if someone invests $200 million into an MLS club, I don't think they want to see them playing in a lower league next year or the year after that. But I think there might be a solution to that promotion relegation within the way we have USL and MLS currently. Um, but that's a whole nother discussion. But when you look at the game over 30, 40, 50 years, going back to the question that you originally asked, the growth has been tremendous because of the number of people that are aware of it, the number of people that follow it, the number of people that argue about it and discuss it, um, the number, the amount of money that's involved, the TV sponsorships that are involved, all those things prove that the game has grown. Doesn't prove that it's here to stay, and it doesn't prove that we've arrived at the top end of the game, but it has proven that we have grown. And it will continue to grow and be generational if we continue to do the things that we've done, which is reflect on it, see what the good things are, what the bad things are, analyze the processes, put the right things in place, and continue to move in a forward direction. That's a brilliant perspective there. That's a 50-some-odd-year-old perspective, by the way. <laughs> you've had everything there. You've gone through, like, a, that's a history of the a little museum of the NWSL, MLS. Yeah. Uh, uh, pop culture, everything about the game. But I, I remember that as well, John. Like, when I, I came over here in 99, there was one show a week, Premier League. And now you could sit in front of the TV all day and watch it. And not only that, but I, I went, when I first came out, I watched an A-League game. In, in 99, remember Boston Bulldogs against mm -hmm. the Long Island yeah. Long Island Rock Riders. Riders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was like watching paint dry. And, and now you watch you watch the MLS now. And and I watch the MLS now as a fan. There's a great tempo to the game. But you said at the start it's it's easier almost to get on social media, show a clip of an MLS player making a mistake. But that you're gonna get that at every level now though. That's what social media has done, yeah. Of course, and, and with time and with money, that level will grow. It's just in, in 96 and 97. I remember the team I played with, with on the Galaxy, which I thought was a pretty good team and had players like Kobe Jones and, and Dan Kalish. Ironically, it had three of the back four are now coaching with Toronto. Dan Kalishman, Robin Frazier, um, Greg Vanny, who are all together in Toronto now, were, were three of that back four. Um, Jorge Campos is a goalkeeper on yeah, that. Yeah, legend. Yeah. Eric, uh, not Eric Hurtado, um, Eduardo Hurtado, El Tanque from Ecuador was the was the center forward. But you compare that level to what is around now, and it, it's different. It's better now. But you compare the money that we're investing in the players today compared to the money that we invested in the players back then, and it's a lot more now. And if we quadrupled our budget or, or went with our budget 10 times higher than what it is now, the league would be even better. It might be less American. But it would be even better because we're not just going to pay the current player more money. If our salary cap went from $4 million to $40 million, do you think we would take that $40 million and just divide it amongst the players currently playing? Or would we go to Argentina and Uruguay and France and Germany and Italy and go get other players that are instead of being worth a million dollars or worth $5 million or $10 million? That's what we would do. And it would bring the level of the league up. But we're not there yet. That'll take time and progress. And like anything else, we have to be patient through that process. But no one wants to wait.
it's, no it's, yeah. much easier just to criticize and say, hey, I watched the EPL game in the morning. I watched the MLS game in the afternoon. MLS is, is pure shit, and the EPL is the greatest league to ever exist. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not going to argue that the EPL is not better than Major League Soccer. I will argue that there are some clubs in Major League Soccer that could compete in the EPL, but if you took the two leagues and compared them, there's no chance that you could argue MLS is the better league. But could it get there over time? Possibly. We talk a lot about the league. What's your thoughts on the national team growth? Because I know people would be interested in hearing where you think the team are now and with Greg and what he's doing. And What's your thought on the growth period of them? It's my, my way of looking at it, I think, is different than most people's. And the perspective I take is much like the one we just discussed about the old North American Soccer League and the 40 years since then and what Major League Soccer looks like now. If you look at our national team program, youth as well as, as the, um, the first team, the, the team that qualifies for the World Cup, you, you see an unbelievable amount of growth. And it's, it's undisputable. If you talk to guys that played with our U.S. national team in the 70s and in the 80s. And and I've had intimate conversations, especially with the goalkeepers. I've talked to Shep Messing that played in the Olympics with the national team. Arnie Mauser, uh, Alan Mayer, David Bursich. These guys, when you talk about what they went through with our national team program, you come to realize that, again, it's it's unrecognizable in terms of the quality and the success, we couldn't even qualify for World Cups. We qualified for one Olympic Games in 74. Now we're oftentimes qualifying for the Olympics. We're getting into almost every World Cup since the shot heard around the world um, against Trinidad, Trinidad in, uh, in 1990. Yeah, yeah. We've missed out on one since then, and that one – has made us an absolute crap nation at the game of football. When really, in my perspective, we've grown tremendously. You, you can look at that result and the fact that we didn't make the last one the same way that you can look at, was it 2002 when Bruce took his team to the quarterfinals? Almost went to the semifinals had they called the handball on Friedrich on the line. Um, so one was success on one end that was probably a little bit higher than what we deserved. One was failure on the other end, which was probably a little less than what we deserved. But we've come so far with the national team programs in being able to qualify for all the major tournaments. The problem is we look at it. I think one of the problems is the way we look at it is we should be annihilating those countries because they're small countries and their gross domestic product compared to the American gross domestic product is this versus this. It has nothing. One has nothing to do with the other. They, those countries, El Salvador, Honduras, Trinidad, all the Caribbean nations and the Central American nations all have a longer, for the most part, a longer and stronger soccer tradition than we do. So the fact that we're now qualifying for that, for those on a pretty consistent level shows how much growth we have. The problem is people are comparing our country to their country, our relative wealth compared to their relative wealth and saying we should be head and shoulders better than them. Why should we be? We're behind the curve compared to those countries in terms of where we started and where we are in the game. Yes, maybe we have better investment now in our professional level, but as a soccer culture and soccer countries, they're probably more developed in many ways than we are because they've been doing it for a hell of a lot longer. So I think our national team program has grown. 
I think it's getting better. I think, do we over-exaggerate one result over another? Yes, but I think every country in the world does. Germany does, Italy does. But I think in general, we've done well for, for where we are as a country, where we're going, what we've been trying to do over the last 30, 40 years. We're a fairly consistent country when it comes to international soccer. And I, I've obviously raised my head above the crowd to say that because that's not the popular choice and not the popular thing to say right now. Yeah. But our team is growing and getting better, and this is just a blip on the screen of development that, that I've seen going this way, going upward and having an upward trajectory over the last 30 to 50 years. To loop it back then, I think a nice little way to finish it is going back to then to the individual with the growth and then realize and appreciate the growth of the country, but then being almost impatient with yourself and, mm -hmm. and that. Uh, what's your advice on, on younger coaches to get better and improve? And then, you know, your journey, because uh, obviously the passion and, and the positivity in which you talk about the game, I see a bookshelf that's just, there's books almost falling over there behind you. There's, <laughs> obviously, there's obviously a real zest to, to get that knowledge but everyone's busy. You're, you're you know, I, I can't believe I got you on here in such short notice. So how does how does a young coach who wants to get better as runner around doing two or three jobs? How do they find the time? What's your advice on that? It, it is to engage as much as you can with other people, and and so that you gain their perspective and their knowledge, and now you can assimilate some of that stuff into what you do. I think you need to to travel. Um, and if you don't have the means to travel, because not everybody does, not everybody, you know, I, I was lucky enough last year that I, I piggybacked some personal education on uh, some stuff that was going on with the club. So I had to travel to Denmark and Holland and Belgium and Mexico and Portugal to do some scouting for the team. But while I was in Portugal, I enrolled in one of Raymond Verheyen's courses because he is... Um, a bomb thrower and, and puts information out there and then lets people dialogue and argue over it. I thought it was an interesting person to meet and to listen to and to go through one of his courses and try to gain some insight. So while I was in Portugal, I did that. While I was in Belgium, American kid that's the goalkeeper down at Club Bruges, through him and watching him play, I got in touch with their coach and asked if I could come watch him train his team while I was there. So not only did I scout games in the evening, but I went to Ivan Lecko's, who's the manager, his club Bruges team's training sessions and watched and listened to everything he did. And then had two minutes to talk to him at the end of it all after three days and said, can I ask a question or two? And asked why he did certain things or why his mentality was the way it was. Because for me to assume why he did it would make no sense. Because you look at a certain exercise and within the context of his team at that moment, he may have done it for this reason, but I think he's doing it for some other reason. I may think his reason is technical, tactical, and maybe his reason is physiological, or maybe his reason is mental, psychological. You know, maybe it's just about a certain rhythm or something they like or dislike, and he's trying to get under their skin. And I'm looking at it like, wow, that's a really interesting game having to do with, with players being able to play in wide areas. And he's looking at me like that had nothing to do with why we were doing that activity. It was for this reason. Um, so the more you travel, the more you talk to people, the more you dialogue. And, and the reason why I, I bring up the traveling and the dialogue as, as two different things is maybe you can't travel, but to dialogue with people like yourself who have a completely different perspective from the one I grew up with. For me to talk to 
coaches in the U.S. now that have a German background or have an English background or have an Italian background or a Romanian background or Argentinian background helps me grow as a person and as a coach because it gives me some perspective on how they see the game, how they learn the game, what was important to them. And by doing that, if I'm smart enough, I take bits and pieces of that information and I help myself grow. And that in turn helps my teams grow, which in turn helps the league grow, which in turn helps the national team grow. So it's just a matter of, is it selfish for myself? Yeah, because it helps me. It makes me smarter. It makes me better to deal with my players and my team, but it also helps soccer because it's not just my ideas. It's other people's ideas that come together in here and that I share with others and they share with me. And hopefully we come to a place where we're all better because of it. Fantastic. What a way to finish it. John, <laughs> I can't thank you enough for getting on here. I've, uh, I could chat to you all day. And I really enjoyed it. Tonight, so I, I wish you the best of luck and we'll get you on again sometime for sure. Thanks so much. That'd be, that'd be great. I appreciate it. And yeah, tonight's game will be fun because it's actually my old club in Major League Soccer that we're playing against. Sporting Kansas City against Minnesota United. It'll be fun. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, good luck. Thanks so much, John. Thanks, Gary. Take care. If you need me for anything, let me know. Thanks so much to John for his time and his insight there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Where to start, really, there? You could take it so many directions. You could talk about that social media component, which I say a lot these days. Social media has done so much, so much good for the game. And me especially, I've benefited enormously from from social media both in terms of the modern soccer coach work and in terms of personally what i've drawn from social media connections i've made on social media so i could never complain about social media in any way but the way that coaching discussions take place on social media the the platform that it has become in terms of exchanging ideas and when it comes to innovation and it comes to different types of thinking and it comes to a bit of creativity uh, social media isn't great let's be honest <laughs> there is a lot of negativity on there there's a fair bit of keeping up with the joneses in terms of a certain type of exercise again i'm probably guilty of it myself a fair bit with throwing tweets out about culture here and there and player development and it's something that I'm working on in the next four to five weeks. I'm launching a new idea, a new initiative that will be up and running in July that I'm hoping to progress my work on social media uh, from a personal perspective and, and move away from just sound bites to a little bit more context, a little bit more examples of work being done on the, on the grass with teams and, and not just a tweet for an idealistic theory. Uh, so for me personally, that's maybe why I resonated with John's message and, and wanted to follow up with him because, you know, I'm, I feel as if myself is that I've, I've hit a little bit, bit of a limit on social media and I, and I want to progress what I'm doing personally and keep growing in that. Over to John then, what I really enjoyed about talking with him was that individual development piece and that impatience. And, and I, I think he's, he's spot on in saying that be patient with the things that you don't have real control over. And that's football in general. And I keep in touch with a lot of people in back home and I keep in touch with a lot of people in England and, and you know, obviously my connections over here. And and this, you know, we all have things that we liked improved, but the perfect world in terms of football doesn't really exist. We've all got our challenges at every level, club, high school, college, professional 
England, France, Italy, Ireland, United States, we've all got challenges and nobody has it easy and everyone's looking for ways to improve it, which is great, but then you've also got to be patient and maybe channel that energy into ways that you can get better and that's what I loved about John is that you know it wasn't just everything's positive everything's great it was he's pretty specific about areas that he feels that the growth of the game has gone one or two that I didn't think of in particularly the investment side I never really thought of people that watched the game in that generation of 90s whenever I came over here as well early in the 2000s that generation will maybe not be part of coaching or maybe part of playing, but that generation will be part of investment, will be part of groups that will get together and maybe do organizations that will progress the game further. And I never really took that into consideration. And then also for the quality of the game and for John to experience it as a player in the MLS, as a coach in the MLS, and to be so positive about the, the growth that the game has made, I thought it was outstanding. But I also... I, I talked to John for another 15-20 minutes after the podcast about his experiences in coach education. Recently, coaching courses in Portugal, coaching courses in Northern Ireland where, where I done my licenses. And and again, it was just a, a nice little reflection on, on areas that he was focusing on and, and ways that he wants to get better. And I always get inspired by coaches who are so energetic about coach education. And not coach education, just coaching courses coach education as in go and get more out of it yourself and I think from a personal perspective we're in a really good spot in coach education in this country I think that there's so much access to people that are coming over to bring in different ideas on the table uh, talking to people who have gone outside those ideas we, we've had people on the on the podcast Tony Annan that's gone away and, and done the French courses and and talked about how he changed as a coach and I know a couple of other coaches that have the exact same perspective in that there. But then also, I know a lot of coaches that are going through USSF, United Soccer Coaches, and it's rare, it's very, very rare now that people are voicing a negative experience there. They feel that it's been more individualized. They feel that they're, getting, that they're learning. They feel that they're connecting with the instructors. And they feel that they're having a great experience. And that experience does not have to be learn how to play the positional play, learn how to be Pep Guardiola in two weeks. That experience can just be find your philosophy, be a bit open-minded, get access to more information. And and for me, I think coach education is moving in a really, really good direction. And I, I think John did a fantastic job in, in that uh, podcast of articulating ways that he still thinks that we can get better, but at the same time, you know, be aware of the positives that, that the game is having over here. And I felt really good after that conversation. I was really excited. So we'd love to hear your thoughts as always, uh, especially on this one. I know we have a, we do a lot of different culture work and it's something that you know, I would like to do a little bit more in the United States of, of the game over here because I'm based over here as well and I would like to get people in different perspectives. So please let me know what you think. Let me know what you agree with. Let me know if there's anything you disagree with, with John on there. I would love to hear it and He's requested as well that I report back with any any feedback as well. So always appreciate you listening. Please let me know at Gary Kernin on Twitter, at Gary Kernin on Instagram. Really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Have a great week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, 
sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com. 